Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, October the 16th, 2022. The news from Russia and Ukraine remains incredibly depressing and worrying. The Russians today, according to the Wall Street Journal, are urging the evacuation of occupied Kherson, and they are stealing for a Ukrainian advance. The war grinds on. Uh, Putin uh, has said that 16,000 new recruits have been deployed. All sorts of images from Russia in the New York Times of dead young men. Um, Putin's defending his military call-up, but the images of these dead men are eerie. The one that the New York Times is showing actually looks like a young Vladimir Putin. There are, of course, many young Vladimir Putins dying uh, on his behalf in the Ukraine. Uh, the politics are complicated. Peggy Noonan, who's usually a fairly astute observer, suggests that Putin might fall like Khrushchev and Gorbachev um, in Russia. And of course, uh, Gorbachev died. The, the reformist Soviet leader died earlier this year. Um, we remember those days with nostalgia, I think. The potential perestroika, the opportunity, the opening up of Russia in the 1990s. And that's what we're talking about today. The success and failure of Russia to become like us, for better or worse. Um, and we're looking at it through a very unusual lens. Uh, my guest today, Natasha Lance Rogoff, has a new book out, Muppets in Moscow, the unexpected crazy true story of making Sesame Street in Russia. And uh, Natasha was indeed the woman uh, in part sent over to make Sesame Street in Russia in the 1990s. Uh, Natasha is joining us from uh, her home uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, Natasha, tell me the story of Muppets in Moscow. How did you get involved in this making of the Russian version of Sesame Street? Um, <clears throat> I, had, uh, I had lived in Russia um, for about 10 years before Sesame Street's execs approached me to help them bring Sesame Street to Russia and create an original version with um, three new Russian Muppets, a new set, and a show that would involve about uh, 400 artists, uh, filmmakers, animators, writers, set designers, and puppeteers. Um, and I had no children's television experience. Um, I had been making documentaries. Uh, I worked for TV broadcast news uh, after, um, uh, you know, during the, the 1980s and then uh, made um, several films in, um, in uh, throughout the former Soviet Union, which were um, aired on PBS. So, so what I, years, let's get the years right, Natasha. What years uh, were you approached by the Americans to make this Sesame Street? Mm -hmm. So uh, Sesame Street's um, execs approached me to um, 
to uh, lead a producing team to bring Sesame Street to Russia and create an original version of the iconic American show um, in 1993. That, that was a couple of years after the fall of the Soviet Union, which was in 1991. And up to that time, I had been making TV uh, news for um, NBC and CBS, and then made, uh, directed and produced documentaries for PBS for many years, covering the transition uh, period when Russia was beginning to open up in the 1980s. You, you use that term, open up. Do you mean that seriously? I mean, were you back in 93 as an, uh, an American in, in Moscow, I'm guessing, um, uh, a maker of television documentaries. Were you assuming in the early 90s that Russia would become just like us, for better or worse? Um, I had made a film in 19, um, in, that, that aired in uh, <clears throat> 1991, which was about the collapse of the Soviet Union. And the documentary actually had predicted the coup. And the night of the coup, uh, ABC called me and said, uh, you know, we hear that you've been embedding with the many of the conservative fascists, some of whom ended up trying to overthrow the um, the uh, new fledgling democratic government uh, run by Yeltsin. So, um, oh, wait, that's a mistake. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was it was Gorbachev. That was later. That was 93. Well, don't uh, worry. So, uh, so basically, you were someone, you were on the ground, you, you knew your way around Russian politics, post-Soviet Russian politics, you, you were talking to everyone, and then the Americans approached you to make this uh, Sesame Street in, in Russia. What did you think? Did you think that was insane? Did you think Russia was ready? Russians were ready? Russian kids or Russian media was ready for the Muppets? Um, it see when when Sesame Street uh, approached me to do this, uh, I thought it was uh, an incredibly wacky idea. But I was also really intrigued by the idea of you know the Muppets as Americans uh, America's ambassadors to bring uh, you know uh, new ideas about freedom and tolerance to uh, Russian children across the whole former Soviet Union. So covering eleven time zones and. Um, you know, I was worried that it wouldn't be possible to do it. Uh, I didn't know how, um, you know, Russians would react and Ukrainians and Armenians, all the people that we would be working with. Um, but uh, it was a huge challenge and an incredible opportunity to work not only with Sesame Street's uh, really stellar team out of New York, but also a group of about 400 artists, musicians, writers, you know, talented, passionate people in Russia who envisioned changing their society. So the answer to your question is yes. I think like much of the West, uh, I had hoped that it was possible to move uh, Russia to a more open society. Um, and if you if you had been part of the demonstrations that were happening in 1991, uh, you know, at the time of the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, it was a really heady feeling, especially having already been in Russia for 10 years, speaking Russian 
and having made films there for, for so many years for American television and Western TV. So yes, I did think this was a phenomenal uh, idea. And you know, then Senator Biden um, had spearheaded congressional support for this. And it was bipartisan support for uh, the creation of an original Sesame Street show. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about Sesame Street. What exactly is it? I've never really understood. I mean, it's a television show for children, but it's, it's very quirky. Is it a, a vehicle of American democratic values? Is it a sort of an NPR public television spectacle? Uh, or, or, or how would you explain it? I would explain the phenomenon of Sesame Street as, you know, it's a huge, it's probably one of the most successful uh, educational children's programs in the United States and around the world. Um, it's, um, I, I wouldn't say that it's, um, I guess I would say that what, what this, this, what we do, and, and I can only speak about uh, you know, two productions that I worked on. I worked on the Mexican uh, show um, in the early 1990s and then um, on Ulitsa Sazam, which means Sesame Street in Russian. And I think the approach that is taken, Sesame Street um, begins by assembling education experts from the communities, the countries where we're working and we develop the content of the show with those experts so that the program will reflect the values and culture of that society. And we did that in, in Russia, uh, but it was not as I expected. And- uh, oh, hold on. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Natasha. What, what do you mean that it reflects? So you're saying that the Muppets in Moscow is different from the, Mus the Muppets in- uh, Mexico, Mexico City or the Muppets in Cambridge, Massachusetts, each what you call an educational show reflects the values of that particular society. Mm -hmm. How? How do they do so that? Let's, let's take, for example, the, the design of the Muppets in Russia. So initially, my creative uh, partners there in Moscow didn't want any Muppets in the Ulitsa Sazam Sesame Street, so Sesame Street in Russia. They, they felt that uh, we have a, you know, revered puppet tradition dating back to the 16th century. So we don't want to use your Muppets. We want to use our wooden puppets, uh, you know, and, 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 and have the puppets be based on folklore. And this debate went on for months where, um, you know, I, I kept saying, you know, to myself really, but, you know, Sesame Street without the Muppets is not Sesame Street. But over time, the uh, team was able to, they came to the United States, they, they, they visited the set in New York and um, gradually, you know, people would change their minds about the Muppets. But the puppets- I'm, I'm, I'm confused about the Muppets. I mean, uh, so I, I, I understand you, you're, you're presenting it in two ways. Firstly, it's obviously made up of these branded um, branded puppets that everyone recognizes. Uh, but on the other hand, you're saying that it needs to reflect 
the culture of, of whoever is watching it. So wouldn't it be taken for granted that the Russian version of the Muppets would um, feature Russian puppets? Not exactly, because the, you know, the adoption of the program in the different countries is an adaptation of the format and design elements from the show. So the, the idea is that in, with the Russian uh, show, we were building three new Muppets that would most definitely reflect their culture, but they were still Muppets. They weren't marionette puppets. They were a type of Muppet. They were a type of puppet, which is a Muppet. So there okay. are some. Okay, so I, I take that. So it's, it's complicated, but it would always be complicated, whether you're in Mexico or Madrid or, or Moscow. Everyone has cultural sensibilities. What did your experience in Moscow in the 1990s in making the Muppets tell us about the potential and the problems of reforming Russian society. Why is the story um, important? Uh, Bill Browder, uh, his son actually has been on the show, so describes the book as um, uh, an unprecedented behind the scenes look at the core values and beliefs that shaped Russia in the 90s. And so it's an important book. What, what, what are you telling people about the Russia of the 90s that you saw close up in making the Muppets in Moscow? It's very different to be a documentary filmmaker or a, a journalist where you're always on the outside looking in and then you're observing and writing about what you see. In this case, we had a team of over 400 uh, artists working together and we were all um, vulnerable to everything that was going on around us. So, you know, the making of Sesame Street in Russia was not like a fun, furry thing. It was, it was enormously hopeful. But at the same time, you know, we had our broadcast uh, partner um, uh, was assassinated. And the same was thing happened. Uh, Vlad Listiev or somebody else? Yes, Vlad Listiev. So here uh, we have a photo for people just listening. Vlad Listiev, who has large glasses and a moustache, unfortunately no longer around, murdered in 1995. Was he murdered because of involvement with Sesame Street or was it something else? There's a There are like 120 um, uh, judicial files on his murder and to this day it remains unsolved. But there's there were rumors, you know, he was a very brave man trying to bring press freedom to, to Russia, you know, in the 1990s. And he, um, he was also battling corruption inside the TV station. And at that time, I mean, it's, it's hard, people don't think about it now, but it was a period of incredible violence and lawlessness in the 1990s. So we had this juxtaposition of, you know, the incredible experience of making this children's TV show, but against a really violent background, um, as well as you know, tremendous cultural clashes in terms of the creation of the show. So when you were asking about values, uh, you know, our, this clash affected everything from the script writing to the content, the educational content and what children would learn to the you know, Muppets themselves as I've spoken about and to the set, what would the neighborhood look like 
you know, was it going to look like the U.S. show, uh, uh, a typical urban Harlem style set or something else? And every single one of these questions uh, was uh, fraught with uh, misunderstandings. Um, you know, one, one example I can give from the book uh, is when we had a curriculum seminar which brought together all of the uh, uh, children's education experts from around the former Soviet Union with our creative team. And we were uh, showing a, a clips from the American show to familiarize them with, with the program. And when the show um, ended, um, the one of the educators said, well, of course our show would have to be a lot more sophisticated because our children are so much smarter than American children. Is that true? They, have, they had under the Soviet system an excellent education system but also it promoted uh, obedience among children and it was very different from our system in terms of uh, allowing children to experiment, make mistakes. Um, but there was- so uh, The thing I don't understand and come back to this on, and I, I think I may have asked this before on the Muppets is as a show, is it in your view, uh, a vehicle for, for values? You talk about it as an educational show. Uh, but is it teaching children a, a set of values about how to behave in the world? So those values that you're talking about are selected by the education experts in Russia through a three-day seminar. And I can say that, you know, when, you, when we went to, to, to Russia to, to bring this show there, we definitely hoped with our Russian colleagues and our Ukrainian colleagues and Armenian colleagues working all together, that we would create a show that would promote what I think of as open values, tolerance, understanding, uh, freedom of expression. Um, but when we went to uh, discuss things like inclusivity, uh, and we showed a clip of a little boy in a wheelchair who was, um, flying a kite from his chair. The reaction uh, from the, from the um, educators was, it's so exploitative to see children in a wheelchair like that on television. That's shameful to show that. And then, you know, another person, uh, you know, said that, uh, you know, we shouldn't show that because children should be able to escape the hell we live in at least by when they're watching TV. So these enlightened educators, you know, when I first heard this, I was pretty, pretty shocked. And um, until one uh, woman said, uh, you know, you don't understand that in our country uh, right now, it's very poor and many children are trapped in their beds and they will never get a wheelchair. So how will they feel seeing other children with wheelchairs on TV? So in that moment, you know, I have my American assumptions about how, of course, we should be inclusive. And, um, but, um, you know, this, this debate went on for quite a while during, it took, um, you know, that day. And then there was a woman um, who uh, was from a, a small town 
that the Soviet government had used as a dumping ground for hazardous chemicals. So they had a large number of children with deformities. And she stands up and says to the, to the group, you, you have to see these children long to play with normal children. And she referred to them as which means not normal children. And that was the, the language used to describe disabled children. She said that we should create scenarios where these children are playing with normal, healthy children so that they can understand that all children are a valuable part of society. And when this woman stopped speaking, I looked around the room and several of the people who had spoken earlier, you know, were, were shifting uncomfortably in their seats and a couple of people were wiping at their eyes from crying. And this, see, you know, hearing this, it's, it's humiliating. I mean, the fact that their children don't have, have wheelchairs. And here we are as an American and Russian team together trying to create a show that would be inclusive. And yet there are real uh, hardships that people are facing in Russia that um, have to be taken into account. That said, uh, right, you, you, uh, I take your point. Um, you, 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 uh, you were involved with the Russian authorities. I think even the Russian Deputy Minister of Education, Elena Lenskaya. How much initial enthusiasm was there on the part of the the Russian state um, for what you were doing? What, what, what were the economics? Who was paying who? So the US, the US government, USAID, agreed to contribute half of the cost, but we had to find um, matching funds from the, from the Russian government or from Russian investors. So that was the financial structure. And the US government felt that Russia had, had to have skin in the game. They weren't going to just pay for the show. And um, you know, it was a, it was the, a the, the television show once made would have been broadcast or what on public public Russian television. So there was no there was no business model associated with the distribution of the show itself. It would be like a, a when, public television show in the United States. The word public is a little yeah, a little different in Russia. So basically, there were two TV stations in Russia, and this was really before widespread cable came to Russia. We had cable in the US already, but this was not the case in Russia. And so you had to put your TV show on one of these two channels if you wanted it to be seen by millions of children across 11 time zones. So, you so, uh, so okay, so you, so, so very briefly, uh, Natasha, what was the fate of this show? Did it get made? Yeah, the show, the show eventually got made and it was a huge hit. Um, and, um, you know, when I went back to, um, it aired on, on two uh, uh, top Russian TV station and it ran for the next 10 years, well into Putin's era. And when I went back to Russia in January of 2020 um, and I was checking into the hotel, I, I asked, um, the two women uh, in the, who were in their 20s, if they you know, knew of the show. 
and and they just squealed and were like, oh my God, we love Ulitsa Sazam. And I, they started singing one of the songs. It This happens all over, wherever I meet Russians who are of that age, who would have grown up with Ulitsa Sazam. This is their show. And it, it, it was incredibly popular. And when, um, when did you hand it over essentially? I mean, how, how intimately involved were you? Uh, did you make all the shows? Is it still being made in Russia? Um, the show ended in uh, 2010 and um, I was there for um, uh, four years making the show. And then I left after season one and we trained hundreds of people and that same team continued to produce the show. So uh, it was still, uh, it went, you know, it, it's a co-production with Sesame Street in New York and it continued, you know, for a very long time educating millions of children for several generations. So the book is in itself an interesting story of this, but what does it teach us about the failure and challenges and perhaps opportunities of Russia, particularly, you know, we started with the Peggy Noonan observation that Putin might fall like Khrushchev and Gorbachev, and we might go back to a slightly more open, more tolerant society. What did you learn as uh, in your involvement in Muppets in Moscow, given the failure of the original perestroika that it resulted in Putin? What, what, what can we learn about your narrative and your story in terms of working more successfully with Russia in the future? Well, I think it's heartbreaking to see what's happened now and to think where we were, you know, 30 years ago and where we are today. So that is, you know, just, you know, just heartbreaking. And many of the people who worked on Ulitsa Sazam have had to flee the country uh, in the last few months because they had spoken out against the war. But I'm hopeful. I'm always hopeful that it's um, possible. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, what, what we've learned, what we learn in the book is how important it is to take into account Russia's past, a tragic past, and the, um, their, the, the tradition of being a police state for so long. So as you are working with Russians and trying to create a new show for their children, it's very important to listen always and to give the people you're working with the time to change their perspective. And these changes, the transformation of any country that has been uh, uh, essentially uh, a dictatorship or a, an autocracy takes time. And that's the primary uh, takeaway that I got from this, as well as understanding that there are brilliant, passionate, creative people in Russia who envision a different future for their country. There'll be some people watching this, Natasha, and thinking, you know, Russia and America aren't that different. We had Joseph Weisberg, for example, on the show. I'm sure you're familiar with his work. He's I would say he's an apologist for Russia, but um, his book, uh, Russia Upside Down, um, is, is, is quite critical, I think, of this, what he calls the new Cold War. 
someone like Weisberg might say, well, you know, we're so virtuous, but Sesame Street has only just introduced its first black female puppeteer. It's just as intolerant and pleased with itself as, as any nationalist production. And we even had Fiona Hill on the show, who was one of Donald Trump's great critics. Um, she has a new book out, um, There Is Nothing For You Here, suggesting that America and Russia, post-industrial America and post-industrial Russia are quite similar. Do you think uh, there's some truth to that? Do we need to be a little bit more honest in thinking about Russians as the other and understanding that what they're going through and what's happening in America aren't that dissimilar? I know you wrote an interesting piece recently about um, January 6th uh, having shades of Moscow. So America and Russia becoming more like one another? Uh, that is a that is a uh, a place that I you know don't feel comfortable going. I um, would you agree I, with um, Fiona Hill, for example, I, I, suggesting I, that, I, uh, I, that Russia I spoke, and America are rather similar? Yeah, I, I spoke with Fiona a few weeks ago. We were we were both at a, a conference, and um, and her book is fabulous. I mean, it's absolutely a must read for everybody. Um, but I spent a long time in Russia and, um, you know, I think that you have to remember that this is the government of Russia that is perpetrating these crimes against Ukraine and that we are very different countries. You can know that absolutely, uh, because of different values in terms of, political correctness in the two countries and how they approach LGBTQ uh, rights and, um, you know, all kinds of other things. We are not the same country. And I believe that what this book shows you is it gives you an understanding of the ways in which we are not similar and the ways that we are similar, but deep down. So it's a, you know, very much looking at the um, you know, deepest values of Russian culture. Why is that? Because when you speak to people about their children, that is having one of the most intimate conversations that you can. It's not about politics. It's not about you know, the government or about the economy. It's about their children. And so the way that you are able to go into the minds of the people that you're working with and find compromises is very, very unique. So it's a, it's a totally different approach. So I, and I would not say, no, I think Russia is a police state. And no, I do not see the United States as a police state. But aren't there the same forces, Natasha, in America and Russia? You're talking to me from Cambridge, Mass. I'm in San Francisco. If we were having this conversation with some intellectuals in Moscow, we'd all be talking the same language and nodding along. But there is an America outside Cambridge, Mass, and San Francisco, just as there's a Russia outside Moscow who actually support Putin. So, so in that sense, aren't, aren't the countries rather similar? Uh, I mean, we have we have uh, uh, free speech. I can go out on the street and protest. I can assemble a group and protest. I can't do that in Russia. 
I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, there are many, you know, there, there are issues that are uh, extremely challenging to democracy right now in the United States. Um, but that's, you know, that's not what my book is about. Um, and, um, and I believe it's very important to address those issues um, in the same way that when we were creating uh, Sesame Street in Russia, we tried to shift the conversation uh, so that we could create a program that was open and tolerant and accepting and that it would be acceptable, you know, and, and become a hit show across the former Soviet Union. Um, so we did that. But when you're comparing these, these two countries, um, I, I think it's actually really dangerous to say the countries are similar. And, you know, it's like, it's like fake news. Interesting. Well, uh, talking about a hit, congratulations on, on, on the book, which I think will be a hit. Um, and then, of course, congratulations also on making Sesame Street in Russia into a hit. It was a, quite an achievement and quite a story, a very interesting story that does indeed offer a very different perspective on Russia, a very unique uh, lens on, on what happened in the 1990s and, and early 21st century in Russia to make more sense of um, the decline, if you like, from um, from Gorbachev and Yeltsin to Putin. So congratulations, uh, Natasha, on that book. Um, and it's already Thank got you, a Andrew. it's already got a star on um, Publishers Weekly, which is quite an achievement. I think it's going to be a very well reviewed book, and, and I enjoyed it very much. Um, Thank you. Uh, what else are you reading, Natasha, these days? What other books uh, would you suggest our viewers and listeners? Fiona Hill's book is fantastic. Good. And um, even though you I, disagree with the premise that Russia and America have much in common now, I think that there is some, there are some similarities in terms of, uh, especially the uh, the press, the press divergence, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, her book's great. And then I read um, uh, Putin's People. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I, that's I another book. Uh, right. And I was going to cite that. We had Catherine uh, on the show um, uh, and her book, uh, Putin's uh, People, is a very uh, brave way of, of making sense of uh, what happened in Russia. That's one of the best pieces of investigative journalism I've ever seen on Russia and the uh, economics behind the the, yeah, KGB. Um, well, I assume you saw KGB capitalism or the beginnings of it up front in in your making of Sesame Street. Yeah, we uh, we were in a uh, one of our our um, sponsors had his car blown up, and I had been in that car three weeks before negotiating the deal, mm -hmm. and then he he disappeared. And of course, Belton um, was sued in the London courts by Putin. She's luckily one, but um, she's a very brave woman on lots of fronts. It was wonderful that the publishers, uh, you know, backed her. That was, that was great and brave.